Stop. 
see your light is shining through. The dark of night will not overtake me. I am pressing into you. Lord, you fight my every battle. And I will not fear. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. You amaze me, redeem you call me as your own you amaze me redeem me you call me as your own you amaze me redeem me you call me as your own you amaze me redeem me you call me as your own you're my strength you're my you're my refuge in the storm through these trials you've always been faithful you bring healing to my soul i am not alone i am not alone you will go before me you will If you're able to kneel with me for prayer, will you do so? Lord, we are bowed before you to say that we surrender ourselves. We surrender ourselves before you, Lord, recognizing that you are our redeemer, you are our hope, you're our defender. You never leave us or forsake us. You have called us as your own. You amaze us and you redeem us. And we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercies that are new for us every morning. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is everywhere present. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is going to speak to us this morning through Conrad. We thank you, Lord, for 
the opportunity for us to use our gifts to serve and to minister. And I thank you, Lord, for the time that Conrad has spent in your word and listening for your voice this week for the message. I thank you, Lord, that you um, never grow weary of speaking to us. I thank you, Lord, that you um, that your word is uh, for us fresh and new every morning. So I thank you for Conrad and for um, his obedience in delivering this word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that, um, that again, you, you desire to speak to us through Conrad. And may we just be open and receptive vessels to receive the word that you have. And so I pray for Conrad as he, um, as he delivers this word this morning, Lord. May he um, walk in your strength and in your boldness and in your courage that you have, you have provided for him that is readily available to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name, and I have to say it's getting hard not to see you here this morning. I was out in the lobby thinking about how often the children are playing out there and hearing their voices and missing them this morning. So I greet you in Jesus' name, and thank you, Kate and Nikki and a whole team who's here this morning, Heidi, for your prayer. Paul, who's going to follow up with the Sunday school class, the uh, Zoom Sunday school class that follows the message. I just want to say a couple of things in preface to this message. One is, uh, I'm not one who typically preaches doomsday messages, nor is this one a doomsday message. Uh, it, it has, uh, I think, a recognition of the uncertainties that we are facing in our future. But my focus has tended to be, um, when I preach, on less about the doomsday and more about God's way and the way that God is going to lead us and direct us, the promises that we have. Because I think it's so easy to get focused and paralyzed by the uncertainties and by our anxiety that we forget who God is. And as I said early in this uh, pandemic that, and this crisis, that I asked the Lord, how should we lead? We've never been here before. And immediately I heard, remind them who God is. And that's what I've tried to do over these months. And again this morning, that's the, really the point that I want to make is that in the midst of uncertainties around us and not knowing exactly how the future is going to work out, uh, for sure, we don't know. Um, I want to remind us, bring us back to the scripture on who God says he is, and, and particularly how God prepares us for times of uncertainty. I also want to say that as I share the message this morning, that I, this message is not about shaming you or shaming me. I'm going to talk about some ways to prepare for an uncertain future. And you may look back and say, well, I should have prepared a little differently over the last few months, or I should have prepared a little differently over the last few years. This, this message is not about how, what you should have done. This message is an invitation for you to step into God's present and to prepare for the future that is in front of us that we don't know what it looks like. And so this is not about wishing you had done something differently, but it is about saying, what can I do in this moment, in this time, for myself, for my family, if you're married and have children, um, or have children, um, grandparents, what is God saying to us? Because I know if I could talk to you each individually, we would be at a variety of different places. Some of us are very anxious in this moment. Some of us are less anxious. Some of us think what's happening in our country is a big deal. Some of us think it's not a big deal. We're all over the place in what we've experienced. And so I'm coming to you this morning just recognizing that that's the case, but wanting to make the common denominator the reality of who God is. I'm speaking somewhat now as a sociologist, um, giving a little overview before we look at Psalm 139. The stability of our society since the 1950s is disappearing. Sociologists would say that there's been a relative stability and wealth and affluence, upward mobility since the 1950s, particularly among the white middle class. Our nation's place in the global order is clearly diminishing. There is relatively little left of the social institutions that gave stability to our society. The authority of religion in our society has largely vaporized. 
even God in our own lives has in many ways diminished for many. The family has experienced such drastic change that it no longer provides the kind of resilience and buffer that it did one point to the madness of the world around us. Our communities, whatever that means anymore, have become far and few between and hard to identify. It's hard to identify where we belong and where we're connected. Yes, there was chaos in the 1960s as well, but by and large, the social institutions of our society were still intact. There was still a relatively high level of confidence in those institutions, in the family, in religion, in government, in economics, in our healthcare system, and on and on. But by and large, after the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, the confidence in our social institutions as Americans began to decline, even in our judicial system, our court system, and so on. And so that we are at a very different place than, than we were in the 1960s. That the chaos that we see, the, um, the upheaval in our, in our country, uh, d doesn't have the same kind of internal strength in our institutions that the institutions provided. And so there's this unstable mix that has come with this virus at this time. Um, and we're recognizing how fragile and weak, vulnerable the church is theologically and in practice. The virus that came in February has created space for a long overdue and renewed serious look at racism in, in, in our country. We also in November have a presidential election the, out, uh, the outcome of which could contribute to greater social unrest and disruption. We know that. We haven't faced this kind of instability, uncertainty in our country, uh, in, probably in the 20th century, since the early 20th century. And yet, the reality is that the season of stability we experienced from the 1950s up to 2020, relatively, was really an anomaly in, in history and in the world. Most people in the world have never lived with the kind of economic stability and without the kinds of wars on our own land that, uh, that other countries have faced. Most societies throughout history have not lived with this kind of security and stability. The reality is that the security and stability and safety that we have experienced, particularly, again, the white middle class, has never been true for the vast majority of folks who've walked this planet. It's not been true of our black and brown brothers even in our, and sisters even in our own country. This was an unusual season of history. And I think we'll historically look back on this, as an, as, again, as an anomaly, as an unusual time in which to grow up and in which to live. In all of this, what I'm saying is that the period we are entering is, is what most folks have lived in, or what I think we could be entering, is what most folks have lived in most of history. And in fact, it's the kind of world that the scripture was written within. A world of oppression, a world of violence, of exile, of loss, of short life expectancies, of pandemics, of high infant mortality, of poverty, of persecution, and on and on. The scripture, the Holy Spirit spoke the word of God in the midst of the context of instability and chaos. Which means that the scripture is probably going to speak to us differently in uncertain times than it did when things seemed stable. Our ears are going to be tuned differently. We're going to become more aware of what the Spirit is saying because that's exactly the context within which the Scripture was written. And so while we may look with fear upon whatever this world is that's approaching us, the good news is that the Bible, the Scripture, is full of guidance, full of wisdom, full of direction for people living in uncertain times. The Scripture was never really written to people who were living a stable, in a stable existence like we did in the, 19, uh, in the early 20th century. It was written for people for whom anxiety was high. Why so often do we hear then in the scripture, do not fear, do not be afraid, let, heart, let not your heart be troubled. On and on again, the scripture was written for people who were in the midst of chaos and anxiety and fear and doubt. So if the scripture was written for those folks then, it certainly has what we need today. And I'd like to look briefly at Psalm 139, Jeremiah 3, and then a little more fully at Matthew 25. As I prayed this week, these were the three scriptures that came to me across the week. Psalm 139, Jeremiah 3, and Matthew 25. And I'm not going to read all of the verses in these chapters, but I would encourage you to go back to them this week. Because going back to them, I think you'll find more fully um, the promises that God has for us in this season. I also want to speak especially to parents who have children 
who are going to grow up in a future that was different than you grew up in. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the case. And so what you learned as children, parents, growing up, and how to live and cope in the world may need to be very different in terms of what you teach your children. Because the world will not be the same. The world is not going to be the same. And so the question for us is, how do we prepare our children for uncertainty? How do we prepare our children for a world in which chaos, perhaps, uh, more likely than not, is going to be the rule of the day than it was in the last 70 years? And I want to say again, this is not a season to fear. Um, This is not a season to fear. God is faithful. God has been faithful through all of the times of change in our own lives, but also in the generations before us. The question is, how do we prepare for this in a way that is... um, in a way that is faithful and that helps our children to live faithful lives in the midst of uncertainty. The language that we use to talk to our children about this world may be different language than we heard growing up in Sunday school. It may be different language than we heard from our parents about how to live in the world. It may need to be a little bit more clear, a little bit more specific. Not platitudes or easy answers about what God is or who God is that we too often offer children. But it's going to have to connect with their worlds and their anxieties. It's going to have to connect with their fears and with their doubts that they're growing up in. I'm not talking about changing who God is or what the scripture says. But I am talking about to us as parents and adults to be keenly aware of what is changing in the world around us and how it is impacting our children and our, and our youth. Because they are feeling that change in a way that we did not feel that change growing up. In other words, parents, the future that we are entering is going to require a resetting of our own life with God. A resetting of our own life with God so that we can actually pour something of relevance into our children during this time that they're growing up. To enter this uncertainty, we as adults must also know God. Not just know about God, but know God and know what God is saying to us. Again, I want to say, as I've said over and over over the years, please find time to carve out of your day time with God. There is just no way to know God without time with God, without a life with God. Whatever that is for you, carve it out. You will never, ever regret it. I've said often on your dying day, you will never regret the moments you spent with God. You have a lot of other regrets. We all will, if we're honest. But we will never regret the time that we have sat with God, listened to God, read the scripture, spent time in prayer. That's how we come to know God. And so again, as we enter this time of uncertainty, the best way for us to be prepared is to really develop a life with God, to strengthen our life with God, to encourage our children to develop a life with God. Again, in scripture, in prayer, as a family, around family devotions, talking about God as a family, talking about who Jesus is, what Jesus does for us, how he cares for us. And Psalm 139, parents, is a great place to start, and I'm sure many of you had have done that with your children. But it's full of these promises that I, want us, I just want to, hang over, want to hang over us as we move into this message. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. Where can I ever go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. These first 12 verses of this psalm are making one single point, that you cannot escape God. That you can't run from God. That it is impossible to run from the creator of the universe and and your creator. That even if you want to, and you get the sense in this psalm that that the psalmist is kind of toying with that idea, 
What if I wanted to? Maybe I do want to some days. Maybe I need to flee to the darkness because I'm ashamed of myself or something I've done. But the point is of the scripture, as much as any scripture in the Bible, is that we can't flee from God. That God will never ever desert us. That we can't outbad God. That that is the sense that we can't do more, we can't do anything to run away from God. The image of this psalm is one who wants to almost test God's capacity to track him down or her down wherever they go. And I want to say very clearly that this presence of God, this God who is always present with us, we talk about the omnipresence of God as if it's something abstract out there. The reality is that the presence of God is right here with you and with me and wherever we are. And I want to say that the presence of God is for those not only who are already committed to Christ, but for every single person Christ created. God's presence doesn't show up with us when suddenly we, we give our life to him. God is with every single individual he created. That's, this is a critical part of the good news. That when we look at the people around us who have not yet found God or given their life to Christ or given their life to God, God's presence is still with them. The story of Jesus going after the 99, going after the one sheep and the 99 behind is a perfect example of that. That Jesus will not let the one go. If scripture says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is, Christ came after us while we were in sin, not when we showed up at his door and said, I want to be your child. Christ, the good shepherd, came after us and keeps coming after us. If we are going to communicate the good news and that the gospel is good news to those around us, we must understand that this good news includes God's presence with these people that we are meeting and and caring for and connecting with. With every person that God has created, those who have not recognized him, his love, or his presence included. God has not walked away from one single individual who's living on this planet. God sees them. He sees them like he sees the sparrow. He knows the hairs on their head. Those promises are for all of the people God has created. No matter what we are about to experience in the future, God is going to be near to us and present with us always, but also with everyone else around us. Verse 13 to 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This second part of the chapter, and this is all we're going to do with this chapter this morning, tells us and reminds us that we are not only is God present with us, but he is present with us because he created us. That he who created us will never leave us or forsake us. And because he created us, each and every one of us is sacred. That is, each and every one of us is set apart by God for a life purpose, whether we know it or not, or whether we know God or not. I've said before that God plants spiritual gifts in us. They don't just show up when we come to Christ. Those who don't know God, their lives are also sacred. Because they've been made in God's image, they have God's imprint upon them. How could we say someone is not sacred who has God's imprint upon them? They carry the imprint and the image of God upon them. This psalm is written not just for those who know God, but is good news for those who do not know God yet. That God has written the days of every one of us in his secret book. That God's hand is upon us. That God has formed all of us. That none of us are a mistake. None of us showed up on this planet as a mistake. And so who God is and what we communicate to our children about God must be that God is always present. And that God created us and our children's lives are sacred to him. These truths about the gospel message have to be part of what we share with the world around us in this time. Too often, I think, as evangelicals, we've started with the bad news. The four spiritual laws, we start with the bad news, you're a sinner. That's true, but that's not where Jesus starts. Jesus starts with Psalm 139, I created you, I love you, I am present with you, and will be with you always. 
The gospel begins with the good news that God so loved the world. Not that God so judged the world, but that God so loved the world, and not that God so loved the church, but God so loved the world. We would find that walking with people into the kingdom of God would, begin, would be a whole lot easier, and they would come with us more readily if we began by recognizing that God is present with them and that they too are created in God's image and have God's imprint upon them. And that part of what we are called to do as followers of Jesus is help them to identify those realities, to point out to them what of God we see in their lives, what of God's image we see in their lives, what of God's imprint we see in, those lives, and to, in their lives, and to call that out and to name that so that they begin to understand who they are and who God has created them to be. I also want to look at Lamentations 3 and just a few verses from Lamentations 3. Lamentations is a book of lament, of course. It's a book of sorrow. It's a book of grief. It's a book about all of the things that God has done to destroy, to uproot, to tear down. And this, the... the the author of Lamentations 3 starts out like this. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. And he goes on and on to lament what God has done. Verse 18, he says, I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord, all the dreams I had, all the visions I had, all the stuff that I thought we would do this summer, all of the stuff that I was hoping we might do this fall, and now is up in the air. All of the stuff that I was hoping we'd do next year, and now we don't know what next year is going to be like, and on and on and on. All that I had hoped from the Lord, he says. And some of us can put ourselves at least in part of that sentence and understand a bit of what the, the, the author is saying. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. And yet, and this word yet is the most incredibly and most important part of this chapter because it's the turning point. The author allows himself or herself to grieve, to lament. I said last week, lament and grief in a time like this, and Heidi has shared this in some of the material she's provided for you over this time, Grief is critical and important because it moves us on into what God has for us next. And so don't, I want to encourage us not to provide easy answers to one another when we're grieving this time. And for some of us, that grief has just started. For some of you, you were grieving earlier. For some of you, you grieve later. But I think there's going to be grief for all of us in this season. If not yet, it's to come. And the, the author of Lamentations makes it clear that there are no easy answers for a time like this. There are no easy platitudes that just help us to feel better. But somehow in hanging out in his or her grief, the author gets to the point where he or she says, yet. And I don't think we ever get to the yet if we're not honest about the stuff before the yet. If we're not honest about the grief that we're experiencing, the pain we're experiencing, the uncertainty we're experiencing, the anxiety we're experiencing, if we're not honest about stuff, the yet never comes. We just hang out denying what's before the yet, but never really processing it and moving through it. So verse 21, the author turns the corner a bit. And if we had time, we'd go back through Lamentations 4 and 5 and we'd see the author quickly turns the corner back again. It's hard in the midst of grief to stay in this place. But the author does at least for a moment. And it's probably that moment that gets him or her through the difficult time. But I don't think this moment comes until we grieve or until we hang out with our grief in God's presence. I don't think if the author had been grieving and complaining and bitter and resentful, but hadn't been in God's presence, the author would have ever turned that corner. It's, we turn the corner as we hear God's voice saying to us, there is still hope. It's that life with God that helps us to turn the corner in the midst of our grief. It's that time with God and recognizing who God is again that helps us to turn the corner in our grief. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Even if it's for five minutes, that might be all I need to get me through the next months. Yet I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great, great, great 
is your faithfulness. Somehow in the midst of his grief or her grief, this author of Lamentations found the hope. And again, it was only with hanging out with God that they discovered anew for a few moments that God is my hope, that God is compassionate. And again, that word Hebrew in Hebrew means to carry, that God carries us in his womb, safe and secure and provided for. That as we move into this uncertainty, God's compassion carries us. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. And again, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's that quietness with God in the seasons of uncertainty that helps us to turn the corner. If we are not quiet before God, we are not going to turn that corner. I know I'm repeating myself. But why do we think Psalm, 1, Psalm 46 that talks about the mountains falling into the sea it ends with, be still and know that I am God? Because the only way we're going to survive seeing those mountains fall into the sea is if we are still and, and reground ourselves and recenter ourselves in the reality that he is God. Because that's the greatest reality. The mountains will come and go. The crisis now will come and go. And there will be others. This fall's election will come and go, but God will not change and remains changeless. And so if we are going to find hope and comfort, it is as we wait quietly for his salvation. It is good for a young man or woman to bear the yoke while they are young. It's not a bad thing for us to have to walk through difficult times. Let him or her sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on them. Let them bury their face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Parents, it is easy for us to want to fix whatever is going on for our children right now. It's easy for us to want to come in and to make promises we can't keep and assurances we can't keep. And while we want to shield our children from some of the truth and reality, perhaps it is also important for them to know that we too are uncertain. And the way that we get through our uncertainties is by relying on God, not on ourselves. And so it's okay for our children to feel some uncertainty and anxiety in this time because we do. It's okay for them because it's in, if we turn to God, they're going to turn to God. This season for some of our children could be the most important turning point and most important time of formation of their spiritual life of any they would have experienced. I hope it is for all of us. But it will be for our children depending on how we as parents take this time whether we continue to have hope in God, whether we continue to have trust in God. But our children also have to discover that hope for themselves. And so promising and rescuing all the time is never going to allow them to discover that there may yet be hope. Our children need to learn that there may yet be hope, not because we told them there is, but because they also experience God's faithfulness in their lives. And as parents, we can help them to name that. We can tell our stories of God's faithfulness and help them to name their stories of how in the midst of this crisis, they have found God faithful. That's a conversation around the house that leads to strengthening our children's and our family's life with God. If God is always present with us, and if he has created each of us sacred, as Psalm 139 says, he has done so out of an abundance of incredible love for us. Here is the author on the one hand describing all that God has done to him and yet declaring in the midst of desolation and destruction there is yet hope. There are three qualities of God that this passage identifies that as we approach this uncertain season, as we're in the midst of this uncertain season, parents, I think it's important for us to name for ourselves but also for our children and important for all of us to name for ourselves. That because God is always present and because we have his imprint upon us and our lives are sacred, he loves us and will continue to offer us hope. It may not be a hope that looks like the hope did before February. Because maybe that hope wasn't really the hope we need now. God will always offer us the hope that is needed for the moments we are in. Not the moments we're not in. Not the moments we were in before. God offers us the hope that we need for this day, for this season. That's why the author says, your faithfulness, is, your mercies, your compassion are new every morning. 
For this day alone, his compassions are new. And he will provide them for tomorrow. But if I try to live in tomorrow or try to live in the past, I'm going to miss the compassion he has for me today, the faithfulness he has for me today, the grace he has for me today, and the hope he's offering me today. No situation, and Psalm 139 makes that clear, is beyond God's hope to redeem and to restore and to make whole. No individual is beyond his hope. No society is beyond his hope. No church is beyond his hope. And what does our hope lie? That God who loved us and created us is faithful to us. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed in whatever it is that we're walking through. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. In other words, folks, no matter what the headline was the night before you went to bed, the evening before you went to bed, and what the situation was when you went to bed, you are going to bed loved and held and carried by a God who has the potential overnight to change the headline when you wake up in the morning. No matter what the headline was in your life in the evening before you go to bed, this is a God who will provide a headline for you in the morning that you need to get through that day. And that headline might be, yet there is hope. That headline might be, great is thy faithfulness. But if the first thing we do when we get up in the morning is look for other headlines and not God's headline for the day, we're already on the wrong track. That God's headline for the day is what we need for that moment and what we need for that day. The printing press of heaven never stops churning out stories of God's faithfulness and God's restoration and God's kindness and God's compassion and redemption and the way God turns around broken lives. In fact, I think that printing press is going nonstop. And I think it even, I'd like to think, I don't know what the printing press in heaven looks like, but I suspect it speeds up even in moments like we're going through now. Because there are more stories as we give ourselves to God and trust him to redeem and to restore and to make whole. I'd like to finish and conclude by looking at Matthew 25. Because Matthew 25 is where Jesus talks about the bad news. In fact, if you read 24, it's a scary chapter to read. I don't think I've ever preached 24. It's really a doomsday chapter. It's an unnerving chapter about what, what, what is happening in the last days. There's a lot in Matthew 24 that's going to feel really familiar to you if you take time to read it. But I wanted chapter 25 because Jesus gives us specific instructions about how to prepare for 24. Jesus gives us specific instructions in Matthew 25 about how to prepare for this fall and the winter and next year and the year after that and this rest of this summer. There are three parables in this chapter and each one of them details something different about preparing for uncertainty, chaos, catastrophe. There are three things that Jesus wants to say to us this morning about how we prepare for the uncertainty of our time and how we help to prepare our children. Matthew 25, and I'm going to paraphrase this first story. There are ten virgins. Jesus says five of them are foolish and five of them are wise. And the five that are foolish are the ones who came waiting for the bridegroom, but they didn't bring enough oil with them. They weren't fully prepared to last the night. Because when the bridegroom was coming was uncertain. They didn't spend time beforehand getting ready for the uncertainty. And so one of the questions for us in this, in this moment, and this is again not shaming where you've been or what you've done, but how in this moment is God asking us to prepare for the uncertainty? What are the steps God is asking us to do to fill up our oil, to make sure there's enough oil to get us through? And I'm not talking about going out and buying guns. I'm not talking about stashing food away. I'm not talking about that stuff. Because that's going to fade away also, and it's certainly not going to save us. And there are folks telling us to do that right now. There are Christians telling us to do that right now. Buy guns, buy food, store up stuff. It's like every other treasure we store up that, God, that moth and rust consumes. What Jesus is saying to us in this moment is, how are we preparing ourselves spiritually as people to last the uncertainty until the bridegroom comes? Are we teaching our children that there's a bridegroom coming and in this season we're preparing for his coming? That his coming is not bad news, that his coming is the good news. 
in the midst of this uncertainty. And so they suddenly, the five foolish virgins cry out and they ask the five wise virgins to share. And the five wise, five wise virgins say, no, we'll get down with you. The whole ship will sink. We'll all lose it. This was your responsibility. Talk about setting boundaries. This is your problem. You had as much time as we had to prepare. Jesus doesn't say these were five righteous virgins and five wicked virgins. Five virgins of God and five virgins of the devil. These were ten virgins who were hanging out in church one Sunday. But five of them in that church weren't prepared. And being in church didn't prepare them. Because being in church doesn't prepare us if we're not doing our work outside of church. Which is what this COVID-19 opportunity gives us is a time to do our own work outside of church. And to say, this is my life that God has called me to live. These are my lamps I have to fill up. These are my, this, this is my oil um, container that I need to fill in this time. What does that look like in your life? And I'm going to say again, it has to start with your life with God. If you're not spending time with God, if you're not listening to the voice of God, you're not going to have much to offer or to support you during this time of uncertainty. It's just the way it is. And everybody else is likely going to be worried about their own oil and lamps to be of much good to you if you haven't taken care of your own. The second parable is about a man who goes on a journey and he calls his servants and he gives them bags of gold. Five bags to one, two to another, and one to another. And he tells them to steward well what they've been given in this time. And then he goes away and they don't know where he's gone or how long he's going to be gone. And then he suddenly returns and he asks them, he does an audit. What would you do with the five, two, and one? And the five and two, they doubled it. And the one said, well, I, I buried it. I knew that you were, you were hard to please, and so I just buried it, and then who knows what he did. The question again for us this morning is, what is in our hand that God has given us that he wants us to steward well in this time of uncertainty so that we can share it with others and we can sustain ourselves through this time? And I don't know what that looks like for you, but what is it that he has given you of gifts, talents, opportunities, resources that he's asking during this time? And I don't think we're going to know the answer to that until we ask him what that looks like. Maybe it's something we've been avoiding doing. Maybe it's something we've been avoiding looking at in our lives. But what is he asking us to steward well, to take care of well, so that it multiplies for a season of uncertainty that lies ahead? The last parable is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I love this little parable. It's one of my favorites in all of Scripture because you get the sense that the goats showed up knowing they were goats. The goats showed up knowing that they were not what they thought they should be. And the sheep, on the other hand, were showing up assuming they were sheep. But Jesus turns it around. And it's one of the most tragic turnarounds for those who thought they were the sheep. Because the sheep thought they were lining up to go to heaven. The goats assumed they were lining up to go to judgment. But Jesus changes the headline. He changes the headline because the sheep had been failing to care for the least of those around them, and the goats had been. And the goats are as surprised as anyone that they're the sheep. And there is so much mystery in this chapter but Jesus makes it pretty clear that those who care for the least of these in the season of uncertainty are the ones who are going to be called the sheep at the end of the day. And I don't know what that looks like for our church, and I don't know what that looks like for you, but there are a lot of least of these around. They are made in God's image. God is present with them. They have God's imprint upon them. They are as loved as much by God as you are, but they're waiting for us perhaps, to care for them. And I think this is so important to Jesus because how we care for the least of these is always a metric of how we care for God. And Jesus says that. What you did to the least of these, you also did to me. And so I don't know what it looks like in your life or my life necessarily, 
or our church to care for the least of these, but I don't think Jesus was joking. I shared this recently in another setting, and a pastor got very angry with me um, because he said, you're condemning me to hell. I, I didn't, he wasn't speaking to him, and I had no idea that he was feeling convicted, but I, Jesus doesn't mince words here. As we enter this season, as we're in the midst of the season, as we enter this time of uncertainty, we can count on God. He is always present with us. He created us with his imprint upon us. He is writing the headlines that we need for every moment of the weeks and months and years that are ahead. Let's read those headlines first before we read the rest of the headlines. He's got the grace for us to walk through this time, whatever it is. If we are like many churches and people of God throughout history, we will come through in a better place in a difficult time than we did had we not had a difficult time. But the choice is up to us. The choice is up to us as to whether we engage in what God's up to or not. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful and sufficient for the headlines of our day. That your headline overarches is greater than, surpasses all of the other headlines. Your headlines emerge from the printing press of heaven where you see, where everything is seen clearly. There's so much we don't know. I mean, we think, if we just think about this, this virus right now, every day it changes. We, we don't know what we're living in. We just don't know. We know some, but we know so little. But you have clarity on all of this. You have clarity on everything that lies ahead of us and everything we're walking through. And so I just pray that we would keep our eyes fixed and focused on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who you, for the joy set before you, endured the cross. There may be, there likely will be, there likely are crosses for us to endure. But may we never forget the joy that lies ahead of us, that these are all momentary things. Help us to teach our children that. These are momentary things. These are momentary trials compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to God's children. Give us direction as a congregation. Give us wisdom. Help us to know what it means to care for the least of these personally, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our con congregation, in our community. And prepare us, Lord, for whatever lies ahead. You will do that. You are faithful and you are good. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.
Shut 